0: Sometimes we are pushed outside of our comfort zone and forced or compelled to do things that we maybe normally wouldn't do. And you know this story, and you're familiar with it, right? And, and so the idea of the story is that you should always be looking for things to do for people, right? That's the story of the story. That's, you know, we, we've named hospitals after the, the Samaritan. We've named mission agency, Samaritan's Purse, after the Samaritan. In fact, even in Australia, there is a donkey sanctuary called the Good Samaritan Donkey Sanctuary, right? So it's very familiar. So I, in just a couple weeks ago, I, I'm I'm getting off the airplane and going to get my luggage, which, you know, is, is a moment when everyone is just angry, right? You've, you've been waiting. The flight has been delayed. You've been uncomfortable. You've been, you know, <clears throat> bad breath, BO around you on the plane, and... You're just, now you're waiting to get off the plane. You finally get off the plane, and you're just agitated. Now you're waiting for your luggage. You know, it's 11.15. We're in Edmonton, and the little thing starts to move. You know, and, and all these bags start coming out, and it's just crowded. Everyone is crowded, 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 crowded. Your bag isn't there, but you're, you're standing right in front of there. So you, even when your bag does come, you're like elbowing people to get to your bag because the, the person's just waiting for their bag. Well, there's this little lady there in her 60s, I'm guessing, about 100 pounds uh, soaking wet, you know, just this tiny little lady and she's got this big box and it's coming along and it's coming towards her and she's grabbing this box and like the box now begins to drag her along, you know, and so I, I'm like, like, everyone's just standing around there waiting for their bag, waiting for their bag, you know, watching bags that aren't their bags go by, and this lady is, like, getting dragged by her box, so, so I went, and I, and I grabbed her box, and I put it on her thing, and I'm like, what else do you have? Because my bags weren't anywhere to be seen, so I'm like, well, I might as well help this lady. Well, there's my, another, a huge suitcase. I'm like, okay, put, put that on there. Another huge suitcase, you know, and so, but, like, all these people standing around watching this lady getting dragged down the conveyor belt, no one helped her, so, yay, I was the good Samaritan, ha, <laughs> ha. I'm the hero of the story, aren't I? Isn't that wonderful, right? I got this parable, didn't I? Or did I? I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time, right? And maybe you grew up with with good parents, and you were taught to help others, to open doors for ladies at the mall, right? To uh, at least, I mean, me and the boys were were driving in December in one of those really bad snowstorms. We had dropped Elisa off to visit her mom. and We were going to shovel for someone else. And on the way, we noticed there was this lady. She was in her 70s shoveling her, her, you know, her driveway. It's like a foot snow, and, and this, this lady in her 70s is, is struggling. You see she's kind of got about four feet done, but it gets a lot of snow. She's having a hard time moving it. So me and the boys stopped. and I made them, and, and with them, we, we together cleaned her driveway for her, and then we carried on and went to do the other snow that we were prepared to do that day. But is that really what the Good Samaritan is about? I mean, of course we should do those things. But I think if it's just about doing good things for people, we've maybe missed the whole core of the story, which is ironically a reflection also. It's a a parallel theme to what Pastor Frank has been preaching the last couple weeks. But let's take another look at the surprising stories of Jesus. Because these parables are intended to to make you, to kind of paint you into a corner and make you feel uncomfortable. It's not about doing good things. It's deeper than that let's start at the beginning there chapter Luke chapter 10 verse 25 it says an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus saying teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life now if you were to read through the gospel of Luke you would understand that in chapter 9 Jesus begins to tell his disciples guess what I'm going to Jerusalem I'm gonna die I'm gonna get hand over I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. He's three times predicted his death in chapter 9, verse 51. It says Jesus, uh, as he drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He, he sets his, his mind towards Jerusalem. So he knows where he's going. He knows what's going to happen there. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And then he's going to rise. Jesus knows this. He's talked to his disciples about this, but no one seems to get it. And and he sent out these 72. The 72 have come back. You know, God's power has worked through the 72. It's been phenomenal. He's warned some some cities that didn't respond to his ministry. He's talked about how these things have been revealed to them specifically. It's like this this significant moment, significant themes, significant teaching. He's on his way to Jerusalem. and And then all of a sudden, boom, this guy gets up and says, Oh, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's testing him. It seems like he wants to bait Jesus into saying what he wants Jesus to say. I don't know if you've ever kind of had those people that are asking you questions, and they're just asking you because they want you to say something they want you to say, right? It's really irritating. I, I, I mean, I listened to podcasts, and me and the boys were driving this summer, last summer, and we were listening to this guy. Like, anyway, it's interesting sometimes the dialogue on a podcast. But this one guy, he's a Canadian, unfortunately, was really irritating the podcast guy. who was from Europe, and they were talking about communication. And, and he, he keeps baiting with these questions. And, and you could tell, I'm irritated listening to it. The boys were irritated listening to it. You know, the, 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 the interviewer was irritated. He's trying to end And here's this guy doing the same thing. He's like, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you notice the question? Can you actually do something to inherit eternal life? Is it even the right question? Now, Jesus is, of course, the Son of God, perfect wisdom. And he answers him with a question, the Socratic method, very wise. In fact, sometimes if you, if you find a real op- question that's a bit irritating to you, maybe the right thing to do is to answer with a question back as opposed to just saying, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Why are you asking such a dumb, you know, are you, know, are you trying to bait me? I? Jesus doesn't do that. He just answers a question and he says to him there in verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? Okay, smarty pants. Tell me what you think is the answer. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Because that's what you wanted to do anyway, right? This is what happens with religious people. They just love to parade their knowledge and their righteousness in front of others. Um, one of the worst places, I mean, I, I'm just outing my, my own brethren here, but like, you go to a pastor's meeting, and then maybe you brought in a guest speaker, and he speaks, and then there's a QA after, and you're supposed to be asking questions, right? And then some guy gets up and starts pontificating. You know, and he's just parading and parroting his knowledge in front of everyone. And then at the end, he'll kind of throw a slap half, you know, half question at the end. But really, he just wanted the attention of the crowd and just trying to draw attention to his own knowledge himself. and self. And here, you know, Jesus is like, okay, what, what do you think is, that the law says? We both agree that the word, that the word of God, you know, speaks authoritatively. So, so what does it say? And then he answers him there in verse 27. The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, love, your neighbor, as yourself. One of our high schools has this on the wall when you walk in, and it's great words, but um, doesn't always make an impact on the behavior of the students there. You guys that go there, you know what I'm talking about. It's there. There it is. This is what you must do to inherit eternal life. That's it. You got it. You can do that. You got it, right? And, and it's so simple, right? Just love God with everything, all the time, every part of your being, your mind, your will, your actions, your strength, completely at the, at the disposal of God and, and, and in that relationship with him, and then loving your neighbor as yourself, thinking about their needs as much as you think about your own needs. If you do that, well, you got this. And then in verse 28 jesus says to him that's a good answer do this and you will live you almost have to see the smirk on jesus just the corner of his lip there as he says this (laughs) do this and you will live because the only person who ever did that there was one in the whole history of the universe jesus who loved the lord of god with all his heart soul mind and strength And he loved his neighbor. There's only one person that ever fulfilled that law. One. No one else has ever done that. Ever. I mean, we have snippets. Like, we have moments when, yeah, we pull over and and I I shovel old ladies. But what about all those times where I don't even see the old lady shoveling? What about the times when I'm so focused on my own bags that I, I don't realize that that lady's getting dragged down the conveyor belt? I mean, how many times, let's be honest, do we miss it? And we fail. And then we fail. And then we don't have one. But this guy isn't getting it. He answers in verse 29, wanting to justify himself. So you see the context of this story that we're going to get to in a moment here is attesting Jesus and now wanting to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying, I got the first part. I just need to clarify what the second part means. I got the loving God with everything part. I just need to know who exactly, where, where are the boundaries? Where, where are the, the, the property lines on loving my neighbor? Because I think I'm doing it, but let's just make sure that we're, we're clear about this, you know, because in the Jewish mindset, yeah, you didn't have to love someone who wasn't Jewish. You didn't have to show love to a Gentile or to a Samaritan, which will discover later in the parable. You didn't have to. You weren't obligated to do that because they weren't part of the covenant community. But you didn't need to love, you know, your fellow Jews. That's kind of what, what a lot of the people thought at, at the time. Who is my neighbor? Can I put a, can I put a, a boundary fence on love? Can we just make sure it's really clear who, who, who I'm obligated to, to look out for and to show love to? And then Jesus answers with this story so here's the story in the context of a man asking about eternal life and wanting to justify himself Jesus tells this story which is familiar to you but we're gonna walk through it because we're just gonna look at it again because I think maybe there's a surprise here even for you and me this morning he says to him verse 30 a man was going down from Jerusalem Jericho, Jer- Jerusalem. Of course, is the place where people worshipped. It was the temple, right? And, and then Jericho is down in the flats. It's a couple thousand feet of, of elevation change. And I've got a map here just to show you. The first, this is the first. This is like a top, top of crop, you know, So there's Jericho on the bottom there, and see where the Jordan River there is. And then Jer- Jerusalem is way up. You're you're crawling through these through these ravines and valleys to get up to Jerusalem. I have a picture here of, of the actual spot. This is a monastery. That's like, that's literally. So actually, the video that you saw before I preached, not accurate. There was not open. It, it's, it's narrow. Uh, Lisa and I came from the other side. We saw this same monastery from the other corner. And what was even interesting, in 2018, um, there were these guys selling stuff at the parking lot. Uh, they were very brash. They were in your face. They were very pushy. You know, I I wanted to walk really close to my wife because they were creepy, really. Even in 2018, it's still a creepy place. The one wife that was, it was a bunch of pastors and their wives, and and the one wife showed interest in one item, and this guy followed her all the way to the edge of the ravine and all the way back, badgering her, badgering her, trying to make her buy this thing. No, it's a bunch of pastors and wives. Like, we're not buying cheap trinkets. Like, like we're, like sorry, that's the wrong bus. You you, know, you got the wrong bus. Like, we disappointed so many places. Because, like, like, yeah, we don't see any superstitious value in all this trinkety, right? We bought some souvenirs, but, like, you know, we're not those kind of people. Like, oh, I've got the cross from the, the Holy Land. Oh, there's a piece of... Jesus toenail here. You know, like we, we didn't buy those kind of things, right? Because like, they don't mean anything to us. Because we're like, no, we, we've got new life in Jesus Christ. We've got the Holy Spirit. We don't, that stuff doesn't convey spiritual power. It doesn't. But she just badgered him. So this is, in the, in the early 1900s, they call it the bloody way. In fact, if you wanted to travel through there, you had to pay someone. Like, you basically bribed them, and then, and then, then that, that was like blood money to get through there without getting, you know, robbed. And so it was just as bad back then notorious road. You wanted to be really careful when you traveled on there. And what happens, we see, is at the end of, at the remainder of verse 30, He says, he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. It's a horrible situation. He is now at a place of helplessness, of True and genuine need. We need to make sure we understand that as we read this parable. This is not someone who, who has all sorts of social assistance options at their disposal, who can pick you know places to eat on every given night of the week. This is not that situation. This is someone who is in a total place of helplessness and need and approaching the reality of death if no one. They are losing blood, they are naked, they're exposed. In fact, if you look up into a sign, you see circling the vultures already. They're just waiting to land and do their dirty business to this corpse if no one helps. And it says... I think this mic is dying. (laughs) It says in verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Good news. Because the religious man is going to care for this man. Because they're godly people. They're people of the cloth. They've dedicated their life in service to God. And he sees the injured man. And and the story just goes on. He passes by the other side. Doesn't even go and give it a little shove, doom, 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 see if it's still alive. Uh, pot, you know, people have you know postulated about this whole like, wow, well, the priest didn't want to be defiled by a dead body. How do you? How, you don't even know he's dead. And secondly, he was, he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. He'd already done his service. It wasn't like he was going up to serve in the temple. Well, I can't touch a dead body. He was already done that if that was the case. But Luke doesn't mention that, so it's not the, that's not in play. What, what is in play is he doesn't do anything. There's the dead man. I'm going to walk around him. I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to pretend I didn't see him. I'm going to hope someone else comes and helps. Or, or it's like in, sometimes in the ancient Near East, even to this day, there are groups that just think sometimes these things are just fate. You ever watch Lawrence of Arabia and this guy gets lost out in the desert storm and and all the Arabs are like, oh, well, that's just fate. And Lawrence goes and finds the guy and drags him back. And you're like, why? Because it's a different ethic, right? The priest says, no, not today. Verse 32. So too, a Levite, who wasn't as high up on the... uh, religious ladder as the priest, but just below this, these guys, were, were Levites were, were the tribe of Levi, Aaron was a, a clan in the tribe of Levi, the Aaron knights were, were the ones who, who, who ministered the worship on the temple the Levites did all the, the extra stuff, got the wood, you know, cleaned out the blood, did all that stuff, you know, they, they were both key parts of the temple, here a Levite comes by and you think, oh well, this guy's gonna do it he's gonna help and he came up to the place and saw him and passed by the other Side. So we're really surprised here. Here's a man, maybe even groaning. We can hear the drip of blood falling from his body. Drip, 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 Maybe there's even, you know, kind of moving and, and splashing in and out of consciousness. And these two men come by and, and they have no time. They've got more important things to do. Their own agenda at that moment is, is trumping this man's need. And so what, we're, what the Jew is expecting in the story is that and now comes a Jewish layman, just a regular good Jew, and he will stop, and he will. This is what the, you would be expecting. In a, in a story there, it's always this triplicate thing, and so we're, we're expecting the, the third man to be the hero, yes, but we're, but we're not expecting him to be what Jesus says he is here. In verse 33, but a Samaritan who were these half-breed, and I'm using that term very carefully. Sorry, I know it's not sociologically correct to talk like that, but, but that's the way they viewed them. They, they were an intermarried race, partially Jew, partially something else. They're not pure, and as a result, in the first century, they were viewed with suspicion. They had their own worship, their own place of worship. Uh, but but they, they did come from the same spiritual roots, but they had branched away. In fact, earlier in Luke 9, they go to the Samaritan village. The village doesn't want to accept Jesus. And, and the brothers here are like, should we call down fire to, to consume the village, Jesus? He's like, no, 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 you guys don't get this. Like, what are you doing, you know? But so, so there's this in, in, innate animosity. So that, that term there would just suddenly shock every hearer of this story. It doesn't shock you and me because we don't, eh, you know, what, what, what's that? But, but for the Jewish reader, they're like, What? that guy he came to where the injured man was and he saw him and unlike the other two he had compassion for him he sees and he feels in that moment just like pastor frank has been preaching on on love like love shows compassion and it's not just a feeling Right? It's not that feeling that you watch on a World Vision commercial or something where you see the kid with the distended belly, and you're like, oh, you know, and so you get on your phone and you you text $50 to World Vision. Yeah, good, I'm done. That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're just just feeling sorry for someone. It's more than that. It's love is compassion which turns into action. But understand, like like, like the Samaritans were this hated people. The one of the Jewish Midrash says that he that eats the bread of Samaritans is like one who eats the flesh of swine, which was an unclean animal to the Jews. Like, they did not like Samaritans. They did not, co- you know, consort with them. But here we are, and the Samaritans doing something. Now, you don't understand. There's this thing that they call the, um, the bystander effect, where, where there could be someone in need, and, and everyone just does nothing. The, the classic example is March 13th, 1964, uh, in Queens, New York. A girl was beaten up and molested and, and horribly, you know, hurt and, and violated. And all these people around heard it. One guy opened his window, yelled out there. In fact, later on, the police would, would interview people. 37 people saw the thing happen. Not one person did in Princeton Sem- Seminary, they decided to, to do a little experiment. They, they said, okay, all these seminary students, you know, ministerial students, people studying to, to serve the Lord. They're like, okay, you got, you got to go to the other building there, and you're going to give a presentation on the Good Samaritan. And the one group, they're like, you don't have time. you got two minutes. Get over there, you know. And on the way, they'd hired this actor. And he's sitting in this doorway, and he's coughing <coughs> as they went by. Literally, some of the students stepped over the guy to go give their presentation on the Good Samaritan. No one stopped at a theological institution of higher learning the samaritan effect we were in the grand prairie region in 1996 i was visiting my brother for christmas and we um, he lived in this tiny little house in this place called la Glasse. and so there was no room for me and my parents and so we rented this trailer at the priest river bible institute And so we were driving the 20 minutes back and forth to have Christmas with my brother and his wife and his little girl. And we had come Christmas Eve. We had the nice little service at the little fellowship there in the glass. We had, you know, a little time at the tree. I think we'd open our gifts. And we were now going back to the stay overnight in the trailer in Sexsmith. uh, About a 20-minute drive. And and we're driving. And I remember seeing, like, it was kind of like a kind of like it is right now when I came to church this morning. There's kind of a fog, kind of these crystals in the air. The, the, the vision is a little bit weird, and it was like minus 45. Like it's just freezing. Like you spit, and you know, the, the spit turns into ice, and it don't bounces off the sidewalk. It was just so cold. And, and we're driving, and I remember seeing this light. It was just a weird light, just where it was and what it was doing. It was just, and as we got closer, suddenly my dad and I realized that that light, which was facing us, was in fact a headlight but it was one headlight. And as we got closer and, you know, kind of the fog, we realized that's actually a, a truck on its side. And so we pull over, and thankfully there was another guy pulling over right behind us. And we and we, I mean, we were going towards this truck, and you're just not sure what you're going to find. Like, it, it's scary, right? And so I get there, and yeah, there's this lady and her little girl in this truck. And they're standing up because, like, it's it's on its side, right? Like, they're, they're standing up in the truck. They can't get out. So, you know, we crawl up on there. We open the door, and we dragged the little girl out. We pulled the lady out. They go and they sit in my mom and dad's minivan with some blankets and the, someone at that point had called the police and they were on their way in the tow truck and all the stuff. But I still remember her looking at me and saying, people kept passing by. People kept driving by. No one stopped. And you're sitting there with your little girl in a truck that's on its side and you're wondering like, Is this it? Minus 40? The bystander effect. But but good news is the Samaritan doesn't succumb to the bystander effect. He stops. He has compassion. And then look what he does, his six acts of compassion. Verse 34. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, he pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn. He took care of him the next day so he stays overnight with him you imagine he's he's putting water to his lips he's getting a little bit of broth and helping him eat he's sitting by him making sure that you know changing those dressings as needed i mean he's making sure that he gets through the night maybe he's not sure if his guy's going to make it but i'm going to i'm going to do everything i can to see that he survives and then maybe he'll get on his get his strength back get on his feet and then he says the next day verse 35 he took out two silver coins Gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever else you spend, I will repay you when I come back this way. The one author I read this week said that a silver coin like of this type would pay for 12 days of care. So we got 24 days of care. In his cycle as a businessman in his travels he knows he's coming back but he's making care sure that this man will be adequately cared for until he returns on his cycle like i'm coming back around it's not right away i got to do this finish my business but but when i come back around if there's anything else owing i will look after it and we're just shocked Because you and I would have dropped them off at the hospital and went home and felt like we did a good duty, right? I gave them to someone else who could care for them. Now, understand the parallels to our situations are not exact. Like, honestly, we do refer a lot of people to the olive tree here. Why? Because they're set up to do ministry for people. We're not. We don't have a food bank here. We don't have places. We don't feed meals. Like, I mean, they have it set up. We, we actually support the olive tree as a church because of the good work they're doing. So understand, that it's not, I don't feel bad about that. But, but there's times when you and I encounter people in need, and, and, and that it's going to put us out to help them. It is going to wreck our agenda and our plan for the day. Yes, it will. It will cost us something. And Jesus asks them in verse 36, "Which of these three do you think became a neighbor? So notice the question is not about who is my neighbor, but it's about it's about will you be a neighbor? Who became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And you'll notice in verse 37, the expert in the religious law, He said in verse 37, the one who showed mercy to him. He can't even, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He just says the one who was nice, who who did the right thing, who, who extended mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. He's asking the Samaritan to do, he's asking this religious leader to do the impossible. Now, in, in my study, like a lot of people are like, well, you know, the, the old commentators would often allegorize this parable and turn it into, you know, like a and And I think, I don't think they're wrong. I think embedded in this parable is the reality that you and I are actually the guy on the road, the girl on the road, the beaten, bloody, half-dead person, helpless and in need. That's what we are. And along comes the good Samaritan. But what you will and I will realize and will honestly admit that, that you, you maybe have been that person. You were in need and religion came along and looked at you and kept moving. Didn't help you. New age came along. Meditation came along. Yoga came along. And it didn't help you. Capitalism came along. Socialism came along. you know, Education came along. And it didn't help you. Family came along, and it sort of helped you, but it didn't provide what you really needed. And then along comes Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is always a bit on the outside, especially with religious people. How dare Jesus sit and eat with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners? What kind of righteous man is he? He's the good Samaritan, who at his own expense does everything he can to ensure the well-being and the life of this person. In fact, Jesus himself would go to the cross. (laughs) He would pay the ultimate price for you and me. We're lying in the ditch, bleeding, and no one can help us. No one can help us. The world can't help us. Education can't help us. But Jesus comes along and picks us up and helps us. He, the one who fulfilled the law, who loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and now is loving the neighbor as himself, demonstrates that on the cross. He is the good Samaritan helping us. And what happens is when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are given new life. And in that is the capacity to love like we didn't love before. That's what makes us different. We have tons of good people in our community. Service groups, 100 people that make a difference, 200 people. I mean, there's all this stuff going on all around. You see it in the paper even this week. And those are good things, but that's not the same as this thing. The difference with Christianity is that we have a Savior who set the ultimate example for us. His... Love was compassionate, and it was active. He saw that person, and he acted with what he could do to help. And Jesus provided with us what no one else could provide, forgiveness, salvation. And so in order to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, we need the love that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, we're just a bunch of do-gooders that never, ever measure up. I mean, 90% of our, of our community would be saved if it was just about doing good things once in a while, but that's not what it is. We need a heart change. And the Samaritan, to me, presents the heart of Christ, that we can receive his love, and he helps us when we believe in him. But then he says, now I want you to go and to, to, to demonstrate that love to others. So you are a, now a channel, a conduit of God's love. And what that means is you got to open up your eyes and see, and respond, and be available. And you're not going to get it right all the time, but you will begin to think that way. The book of Philippians, right? Paul's talking about Jesus, right? You should have the same attitude of Jesus who, who laid aside his, his, his divine title and, and his divine throne room to come to earth and to be a servant. And you're like, great. How am I supposed to be like Jesus? Like, that's impossible. And then he says, oh, by the way, let me, let me give you a few examples. You know Timothy. And they're going, like, oh, yeah, we know Timothy. He's like, I have no one else like him who genuinely is concerned about the needs of others. You see, Timothy has begun to get it. Boy, and you also know Epaphroditus, right? That guy that you sent to help me and he got sick, he nearly died. He, but his whole concern the whole time was just that, that he would be letting me down, be letting you down, and I'm sending him back to you so that you can have him back. And, and like these two guys got it. They were just, their lives were completely at the disposal of God. Be aware of others. Now imagine the Samaritan. I mean, imagine the beaten man, right? He opens his eyes, and there is a Samaritan feeding him broth. He's been flashing it out of consciousness. He, he got beaten. He got stripped. He's naked. He's, he's seeing the, the vultures flowing around. And all of a sudden, he's the a bumpy ride. He's in a bed. He's getting food. He opens his eyes, and there's a Samaritan. Now, according to religion, he'd be like, what? You, a Samaritan, looking after me? This is, just, you know, how dare you? No. Can you imagine what's, at that moment, he's suddenly being like, Oh, I'm so thankful. Thanks for stopping. There would be this bond there, even though they maybe have never shared a conversation, there would be this bond there. You know that. Because he had received something that no one else was willing to provide. And when you come to to know Jesus Christ, there should be this bond there. We should open our eyes and say, man, you gave me what, what no one else could give me. I was just that close to being a bloody corpse. And you stepped in. And wouldn't you want to do the same thing for others that Jesus has done for you? To be aware. We're really trying to make this church a place where anyone can come and feel welcome. And those of you that call New Life home, that means you need to step outside of your comfort zone and talk to people you don't know. That is a reflection of this parable. Or you can be selfish and just talk to your friends. But that's not the love that God's calling us to. When other people bring their friends to our events, you need to step up and be their friends too. Okay? Someone brings their friends from school to youth. You need to talk to those people, even if they're not your friends. They are your friends now. Someone brings friends to Yak. Don't turn your shoulders to them. Talk to them. Someone brings friends to the ladies' Bible study on Wednesday morning, talk to them. Say hi to them and you know, include them in the conversation. Religious people can be so selfish and self-absorbed, but Jesus calls us to something different. That's why we're eating today. Because this is about us just being in a, a community. You're not going to be best friends with everyone in New life. I don't expect that. But I do expect you to be friendly with everyone in your life, to say hi to everyone in New life. to to exchange greetings and kindness. And when the opportunity comes to demonstrate real compassion to each other, to be aware of each other's needs, and to step up and respond as God enables you to. And in that, we discover life, a surprising story, not about just being a do-gooder, but about experiencing the life of Christ and living out the life of Christ. And we do it together. I need your help. Pastor Elijah, I need your help. We need your help. We do this together. Like we heard in the last few weeks, by this will all people know you're my disciples when you love each other. When they step in and say, man, what's up with those people? It's the love of God. Building in our hearts. So today we're going to just demonstrate that. Eat, drink coffee, eat cake, enjoy just being what God's called us to be the church. If you came today, didn't bring any food, you're, you're staying for food anyway. Uh, we're going to lock the door so no one can go out. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that, but uh, we want you to be here. Just, just have a few snacks, stay for 10, 15, 20, 30, 45, 50, 65 minutes, whatever minutes, but just stick around. Stop, just pause, give us a chance. Let's all be uncomfortable and comfortable at the same time. Let's take a step in this parable and show some love, some interest, some concern in each other and live out this surprising story of Jesus. Team, would you come up and and they're going to sing a closing song and then we'll have the announcements and then a few directions related to the, the food distribution here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's the starting point. He, he found you on the side of the road. He died for you. He rose again so you could have new life. I'm inviting you to, to receive, to believe in Jesus Christ for new life today. Uh, those of you that have Jesus, um, go and do likewise. If you got Jesus and this, this becomes your pattern to follow, um, stop rushing around. Uh, and stop. start noticing people. Let, let God set your agenda. Uh, be open. Don't, don't, don't let fear dictate what you're doing, but let love dictate what you're doing. Love for God and love for each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story and for your love. But Jesus, you are our good Samaritan. You reached down and you carried us and you provided everything we needed for life. Having received your love, we pray that you would empower us to love each other and to love our community with this dynamic, transformative love that you put into our lives. And so, Lord, do that work. Even today as we celebrate with food, being together, may you just bring us into this beautiful place, like the psalm that Pastor Elijah read, how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. Lord, just bring a beautiful spirit of unity as we just enjoy food today. And your word, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team?